if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed an hour number two is underway. Nine minutes past ten. Thanks for being with us. It's a Friday. I would like to call it a free-for-all Friday, but I can't because we don't have a ton of time for calls today when I have this many guests scheduled. Uh, so uh, I will remind you that it is the eighth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2020, and we will roll on. Uh, thanks again to Congressman Bill Johnson. I'm getting a few... Um, critiques uh, messages from people who said they didn't like what they what he had to say uh he is very um how shall i say careful with when it comes to criticism of governor dewine uh he has said he has worked closely with him and so clearly there is a um there's a difference of opinion there i think governor mike dewine has been a flat-out abject disaster governor jo- or uh, representative johnson uh thinks that it was a tough deal that he didn't ask for and uh, he's doing the best he can with it i think he's getting t- terrible advice talking about governor dewine I think he's given far too much power to Amy Acton. In my view, as I said to Governor or to Representative uh, Johnson, uh, that um, if it's too much for him to handle, bring in some other people. Allow the state legislature, the General Assembly, to have some say here, which is exactly what um, they tried to do this week. And he said, "No, I want to go this alone," or "Doctor Acton and I want to go this alone." So. Uh, just a fundamental disagreement, but um, I, I have a great deal of respect for Representative Johnson and his opinions. We're scheduled to talk with uh, Scott Wiggum uh, coming up here, state representative who has been critical of the um, uh, job that Governor DeWine has done and the toll that it has taken on uh, Ohio businesses and jobs. And so hopefully we'll get him on sooner rather than later. Let me set the table with this. This is uh, Representative Wiggum discussing... Uh, well, actually, first, let me read this tweet of his. Ohioans crushed the curve. This is on May 1st, one week ago. Ohioans crushed the curve and met the goal. At Dr. Amy Acton has moved the goalposts. The Ohio House must meet ASAP to rescind the stay-at-home order. I am ready to meet today at Mike DeWine and at Ohio State House. I completely agreed. And then uh, Scott Wiggum, Representative Wiggum, uh, State Representative Wiggum, was one of those um, who supported, voted for, and helped draft the bill that was proposed this week and passed by the House, limiting Amy Acton's powers and requiring the assent. Yeah, we didn't need that, did we? Um, 
requiring the assent of a committee, a bipartisan committee of the General Assembly, in order to extend any advisory orders that the health director might give until after, or until uh, uh, if she wants to extend them, that they would have to go through the bipartisan House committee. If I could provide you with a brief overview. Yes, you may. Where'd you go? Uh, boy, that went away quickly. I wanted you to hear uh, Representative Wiggum while we wait to get him on the line. So let's hear this one more time. Uh, if I could provide you with a brief overview of what the amendment does and what it doesn't do. The amendment, provi- uh, the amendment provides for legislative oversight of orders issued by the Ohio Department of Health under Ohio Revised Code 3701.13. This oversight would be provided by the Joint Committee on Agency Rule Review, JCAR. JCAR is, of course, the 10-member Joint House and Senate Committee that reviews proposed rules from more than 100 state agencies, including the Ohio Department of Health. It does this to ensure that they do not exceed the rulemaking authority by the legislature. And that is exactly what Mike DeWine uh, promised to veto in a very condescending statement yesterday during his daily press briefing. And that was Ohio State Representative Scott Wiggum, Wayne County District 1, who is on the line now on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Wiggum, good to have you on the air. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um I got to tell you, I was, um, I, first of all, I think you guys are late. Uh, I'm so glad you showed up to the party, but I'm, uh, but I think it's late. I think we've been sitting here for the last two months watching Ohio rot, watching Ohio workers suffer, watching Ohio businesses close. And I've been waiting for the state legislature to jump up and say, Hey, we've got to play a role here too. But you did, you and Representative Seitz and Becker and, and, and a number of others. So I'm very happy about that. What was your response? to the, or your reaction rather, to the governor's response immediately after the passage of this bill where he said, mind your business, Dr. Labcoat and I have this. Well, the, the purpose of this bill was, was simply um, to put the legislative authority back in place, meaning we had given, seceded this, this authority to the governor's office years ago, and we're trying to take some of it back. And that, the reason is, is because we're trying to be the voice of our constituents. I am hearing about this daily, about what's going on with unemployment, about businesses shutting down, never coming back. We know what's happening. We are looking at the numbers just as DeWine is, and we're saying we need to have input as a state, legisla- uh, a state legislation, as a, sure. as a general assembly. And the, the, the bottom line is, um, so number one, the, the, the representatives who didn't vote for this, uh, it, it, it blows my mind because all we're saying uh, is that that we should have a voice in this. So their voice could be, no, let's keep it shut down forever if they wanted to. Um, but we're saying that we should have a voice and not just sit out on the sidelines for the last six, seven weeks. I mean, I, I agree with you that we're late to the party, but this is, this is sometimes what happens with legislation. You have to build it up and push it forward. So yeah. I'm glad to where we are. I disagree with DeWine's reaction. I don't think it's going to be beneficial to him. Uh, I have a lot of people that are now angry uh, with Governor DeWine because of that reaction. And the bottom line is we need two votes to um, we only need two votes in the House to override his veto. And I'm sure we'll get one and we'll have to uh, we'll have to talk one more person into it. Uh, I believe that uh, I believe that will happen uh, as we go forward. But the Senate needs to take this up now. 
Well, that's the that's the key here, Representative Wiggum. Uh, and I was talking to Representative Grendel yesterday, and she said the same thing that Representative Vitale told me about a week ago, and that is the Senate doesn't want anything to do with this. Senate doesn't want, doesn't want to take this up, and it's for the worst of reasons, personal selfishness, that some of them are term limited, and uh, they have their eyes on appointments and other government jobs, and they don't want to cross the governor. They don't have to answer to the voters again because of their term limits, and they don't want to cross the governor and mess up their uh, future appointments to other positions. Um, do, can you speak to that at all, or do you, are, are you aware of that, or do you agree with that? I, I don't have insight into any particulars on that. Some of the senators I know are more than willing to take this up. Um, I, I know my senator, uh, Christina Rogner, has expressed her willingness to take this up, and I know other senators that have also. So I, I just don't have insight into personal reasons, but I could understand that if people want uh, a political appointment, uh, with the governor, they will choose the governor's side. But that's just, this is where the people have to come in. Uh, folks that are looking at this, this, this data and they're, that are angry about what's going on and the rights that have been stripped, they have got to be contacting their senator's office. And they've got to make it very clear where they stand. Um, so, you know, I listen to the people of Wayne County. I listen to the people of Ohio, but especially the people of Wayne County. And uh, I feel like I'm doing, uh, first of all, their will. But secondly, I think I'm doing the right thing for the state of Ohio, trying to push this forward um, and put the pressure on the governor to make him, uh, you know, respond to the, the data that is changing constantly and rapidly. Well, yeah, that's that's the big part about this, you know, why, why so many of us have been frustrated. The decisions that Amy Acton, as the health director, made through that outsized amount of power that she has because of 3701-13 that you guys are trying to amend uh, were made on faulty assumptions, terrible models, incorrect uh, prognostications. She said at the time, we have at least 100,000 cases in Ohio right now. Then she said, by the way, when it peaks, we'll have 98,000 new cases per day which she then said oh well uh, maybe not uh, more like 67,000 no uh, maybe more like 1600 we haven't even had that um but but all of the policies that she and the governor have established have been based on that old information that was inaccurate why aren't they governing on new information which is this is not that big of a deal when i say that i'm not saying that any lives lost is okay but again that 99% of the people who contract this disease are going to be just fine and the vast majority of them don't even know that they have it so as you said representative wiggum there's new information here why aren't they establishing policy on the new information? rather than still relying upon the old false info? Well, I'll just put it this way. Um, I've had a conversation with uh, quite a few folks within the administration. Most of the representatives have uh, uh, agents within the, uh, the, the governor's office that we speak to regularly. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues that I had brought up was saying, why is not the administration looking at the new data and making rapid responses to that new data, the new data that's coming out? Mm-hmm. Why are they doing it? And the answer was, well, that new data has not been verified. We're looking for more substantial verification on that data. And my response was, well, why wasn't that the, the statement when we went into closing down the economy? Why wasn't that the statement when you started affecting, you know, millions of lives and livelihoods? Um, why wasn't that we're looking for more uh, confirmation on the data? Because you're absolutely right. The IHME study that uh, stirred uh, most of this and pushed most of the CDC recommendations and things that were coming out of uh, Washington and then, and then uh, came out of uh, um, uh, Dr. Acton's office, 
all all have been revised multiple times. Multiple times. It's following it's following what the trends are instead of putting uh, instead of factoring in the right thing. So we we see that we know that the day. Let me say this: the day that we passed this bill, May six, there were a total of ninety six confirmed COVID hospitalizations. Ninety six across the state of Ohio. And we care about those people, but we sure. care about the 1.33 million Ohioans that are out of a job and are looking to feed their families. Yeah, that is that is exactly right. Let me ask you this. How would you evaluate Governor DeWine's leadership during an all, all of this? First of all, the decision-making, but the leadership part. The fact that last week, on Monday, it's mandatory masks for everybody. On Tuesday, it's, oh, okay, you didn't like that. Well, um, then voluntary or, or strongly recommended, but voluntary masks for everybody. And then he heard from the other side of people complaining because they're scared. And then he comes back on Wednesday and said, okay, uh, we'll go with um, voluntary for clients and customers, but mandatory for the employees. I, I feel like he's making things up as he goes i feel like his order you know that's the other thing too the day after dr Labcoat signed her uh extension of her stay-at-home order to the end of may the governor comes out and says no no it's not a stay-at-home order anymore now it's a stay safe ohio order but the language didn't cha- didn't change you still have the fine of 750 dollars and the 90 days in jail if you violate and leave your house for reasons that amy acton doesn't like I just don't see leadership. I see a guy who's making it up as he goes, trying to react to every situation, uh, and, and, and doing so very, very poorly. He just, he doesn't exude uh, confidence that he has a plan in place here. He is literally being, I think, being led around by, uh, uh, by his health director. Well, um, that and possibly other uh, individuals within the administration and at the federal level, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, what their communication internally is. But I'll, I'll say this. You, you know, a lot of Ohioans uh, uh, would give um, Governor DeWine leeway in that first few weeks. Uh, the first couple of weeks, uh, I think that uh, the, the studies coming out and the push from the media uh, had just incredibly frightened so many people that... Uh, Agreed. That DeWine, DeWine started this this. Our governor started this move forward and saying, hey, I'm taking the lead on this. So I think a lot of people kind of appreciated that. His polling was very, very high. It's still pretty high. Um, uh, but as the data comes out and, they, and government doesn't change, I think those things are slipping. But here's the, here's the deal. Um, after after this, this data, after we, we saw that there was not going to be a curve, that there, that our hospitals were empty. Uh, a Worcester Community Hospital was a, was a ghost town four weeks ago when I talked to the administrator there. They had a total of 25 patients and only a max total of six COVID patients in a hospital that had 170 beds. They were told to get ready for 350 COVID patients before all this started. So that is what we're seeing out in the real world. And I think that when those numbers started coming back, and they had that one week where they said it's going to be really bad, and it wasn't. I think they should have just they should have started opening up. And I think really, if yeah. Dewine, if Governor Dewine had turned around and showed the same leadership coming out of this that he supposedly showed going into this, 
Uh, I, I think this would be a different conversation. I, I recommended that to about. him. When I had him on the air two and a half, three weeks ago, I said to him, you were the first one to lock down. Why don't you be the first one to open up? Set the pace there as well. Now that you know that the lockdown is not necessary, the numbers were bad, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't you do that? But I think he is enjoying his newfound power. You think he's enjoying those newfound, newfound high poll ratings. And the longer you scare the, the devil out of people, uh, the longer they'll say, thank you for doing everything you can, like requiring masks to to save them. Uh, uh, Representative Wiggum, Wiggum, I really appreciate the job you and so many other leaders are doing in the State House. Please work on getting those other two necessary for the override and then start making some calls to your colleagues on the Senate side because we need to end this now. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless. Appreciate you. That's Representative Scott Wiggum on AM 1420 The Answer. Time out. Come back after this. AM 1420 The Answer. Ten twenty-seven. Want to spend a moment here, reminding you about tomorrow and asking: Are you going to come out and support the reopening of Ohio? The demands that Governor Mike DeWine and Doctor Lab Coat Amy Acton uh, start acting in Ohio's best interest, rather than in their own popularity's best interest, rather than feeding the fear and the terror in the population that has led to 1.3 million Ohioans out of work, countless numbers of businesses never coming back. It's time to open Ohio again. In fact, it's well, well past time to open Ohio again. So tomorrow we are going to rally around Ohio and demand that Ohio Ohio's leaders respect the will of the citizenry, of the constituency. So rally around Ohio in counties all over the state. I am told... Um, that we don't have every county representative represented, but we have a good number of counties, and many of them are, of course, here in Northeast Ohio. Cuyahoga County will have a rally around event tomorrow. Lorain County will have one. Geauga County will have one. Lake County will have one. Uh, Medina County will have one. Uh, like I said, Mo- Portage County will have one. Stark, Summit County will have a rally around Ohio event tomorrow. They're beginning at around 1 o'clock uh, in each particular location. And if there's any changes to that in terms of times, as well as other information about parking, about where to meet, uh, all of this information can be found at freeohionow.com. Freeohionow.com. Click that or log on to that, and then when you get there, click the link to Rally Around Ohio. Then you'll see a list of the counties. Find yours. Click Learn More, or click that, rather, the name of the county. Then click Learn More, and you will find all of the details about your locations. So, for example, just because I'm in Lorain County, uh, I'll be, and you don't have to go to the one in your county, by the way. You can, you can go to any one of them that you want to to meet up and, and go and celebrate uh, freedom and try to uh, demand freedom anyway again. But um, uh, so in Lorain County, they're meeting, or we're meeting, in uh, Avon at the corner of Route 83 and Route 254, which is Detroit Road. Uh, people are being advised to park at the Avon Swimming Pool and bring your signs and your flags, and we'll organize, and we'll get out all around the intersection. Not in the intersection, because we're not nutjob liberals, and we're not Antifa looking to block traffic and cause problems. We just want to be heard, and we want to do so peaceably. 
And that's what it's all about. So we'll be on all four corners of the intersection. If you have any questions, again, just go to uh, the website that I said, which is, and why did I suddenly lose my website, freeohionow.com, and click on Rally Around Ohio. Find the location that's best for you. Get out there. Bring your family. Bring your friends. Bring your neighbors. Bring your coworkers. Hell, bring your dogs. It'll be great, a great time for everybody. And bring your signs. A message that you want to get to Mike DeWine. And again, make it clean, make it classy, make it conservative, make it free. That's what this is all about. Rally around Ohio tomorrow. Uh, Make sure that you are participating in the locale nearest you. It's 1031. We'll come right back. We've got another state representative to talk to you about what's going on. Bill Seitz, back with us uh, for the second time in a couple of weeks on AM 1420, The Answer. Go get yourself some cheap sunglasses. Ten thirty-five. As we continue on this Friday edition, appreciate you being with us on the Authority. Good stuff from Congressman Bill Johnson in hour number one. Appreciate uh, Representative Scott Wiggum who joined us last half hour. And now this: Amy Acton has a job to do, but it can't be the sole determinant. She can't be the sole determinant of what we do. It's time to walk back the heavy hand of government, which is ill-suited to ordering the entire economy around for any length of time, and realize that we are not going to cower in our basements forever. It's time to get on with life. People have to earn a paycheck. That line came from Ohio State Representative Bill Seitz, who joined us about a week and a half ago to talk about the role that Amy Acton and Mike DeWine have played in the destruction of Ohio's economy in their supposedly noble goal to protect Ohioans' health. And he joins us now from Cincinnati, Ohio, Congressional District uh, 30 on AM 1420, The Answer. Not Congressional, but State District 30. Representative Seitz, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Well, happy to be back with you, Bob, and... Uh... I, I was listening to that quote, and I said, gee, that sounds like me. So I'm glad you <laughs> accurately quoted me. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, you know, it was spot on. Um, it's something you have said, and a lot of others have paraphrased, and uh, and I completely concur. Before we get into what they've done wrong, let me ask you this. What was your reaction to the announcement yesterday about the planned phased reopening for some businesses, bars and restaurants, nail salons, hair salons, barber shops, over the course of the next two weeks or so? You know, Bob, it's progress, and and I think it's a testament to folks like you, folks like your listeners, folks like the Republican majority in the Ohio House who have been combining a jawboning the governor into loosening things up with now this week some legislation intended to impel him to an even greater sense of urgency and, uh, and frankly, a little bit of shaming him into saying, look, if Indiana can open up on a, on a timeline like this, why can't Ohio? Because Indiana has actually had a worse time of it with COVID than Ohio has. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it is working. Now, I'm sure people are saying it's not working fast enough. If you're a, a bowling alley or, or a wedding reception hall or, or a uh, campground or a pool, uh, if you're a kid wanting a high school graduation, you're still not happy. But, but we are we are actually making progress. And I don't want to criticize the governor for doing a good thing. In this case, it is a good thing. I don't either, but, and there's always a but, um, there's still so much of this that is arbitrary that underscores how foolish the entire thing was. For example, the fact that on 
on May 15th, um, COVID won't infect people who are outside, but uh, it'll still infect people who are inside. You can eat inside on May 21st, then COVID won't be so dangerous anymore when it's on the inside. Uh, It's He's making up dates. They made them up from the beginning. Uh, He's making up numbers, too. You can have up to 10 people in your party, and you won't be infected by COVID. But if you have 11 or 12, those two people got to go, or COVID going to get you. Do you understand how insane what we're we're talking about here is? They're making it up as they go, and for that reason, I don't trust the governor, and I don't trust the lab coat next to him who's making all of these ridiculous, arbitrary decisions, uh, Representative Seitz. Well, well, Bob, there is an absolutely stellar graph that is out this week that says what I think I said to you a week and a half ago. The science is now in. They've looked at all 50 states, and the death rate per 100,000 people is not statistically significantly different between states that locked down early and hard mm-hmm. versus states that locked down lesser late or not at all. There is no statistically significant difference. In fact, Florida and Texas, to name two big states, have lower death rates per 100,000, and they did virtually nothing compared to states like Ohio uh, uh, and California uh, who were locked down early and hard. And and that's science. Everybody says people like me and you and Scott Wiggum, uh, we're not scientists. We're not scientists. Well, I'm not a scientist, but I'm following the science. And I'll tell you this. We were treated to a nice little speech by the minority leader this week claiming that none of us are epidemiologists or doctors uh, or have degrees in public health. And I said, you know, I readily concede that point, but we're all human beings. And if my doctor gave a diagnosis as grievous as the one that Amy Acton has been giving us for the last 60 days, I'd want a second opinion. Wouldn't you? And that's exactly what we did this week by saying there will be legislative oversight over the Director of Health emergency orders. She she will have a 14-day period of of making an emergency order, and then she's got to go to a legislative committee that has been up and running since 1977 that reviews all other agency rules and regulations, and all we're doing is now sweeping uh, health director's orders within the ambit of something that has been around and worked since 1977. And Governor DeWine's response to that passage was, nope, I'm going to veto it. I don't want your help. I don't need the help of any committee. I don't need the help of anybody in the legislature. And you know what bothers me about that is, you know, he continues to say we're making health decisions. But he's not. It's not just about health. Those decisions are impacting the entirety of Ohio's economy, which means Ohio's uh, workers and Ohio's business owners. And that is where the legislature has an absolute right to say we need a say in policy that is being established here because it's not just a health situation. It is a livelihood. It is a an opportunity for people to meet their obligations and protect and to feed their family situation. How can he tell the state legislature, the General Assembly, and you guys, you don't get a say. This is all up to me and the lab coat. Well, and, and, and look, uh, with the national unemployment rate out today at 14.7%, highest since the Great Depression, that just proves the validity of what you're saying. But when he says we're making health decisions, they are making health decisions, and some of the health decisions that they're making around COVID-19 are actually creating adverse health decisions for 
people who are going without their cancers detected with a living under periods of great stress, are causing right. greater medical problems, suicide, homicide, domestic violence, child abuse. They're not balancing this. Even from a health perspective, they're not balancing it on net. There, uh, I read an article by uh, out of a prominent medical magazine called Medscape this week, in which doctors said uh, eighty. They estimated eighty thousand cancers would go undetected during the period of the shutdown nationwide. People that did not get their col- uh, their uh, colonoscopy done, their mammography done, their skin cancer diagnosed, and that you know. There's going to be a number of those folks that die. So when they say they're making health decisions, they are, but they are not considering holistically all of the health ramifications. Just yesterday in the Cincinnati Enquirer, uh, Bob, the uh, Dr. George Rutherford, who is the head of infectious disease and global epidemiology at the University of California, San Francisco, was quoted as saying, bad economies are as hurtful to health as the virus. That is, I didn't see that particular quote, but I've heard several other medical experts say the exact same thing, that absolutely poverty kills people is the bottom line here to really, you know, kind of sum it up. Poverty kills people, and they're creating poverty uh, every single day that we keep Ohio shut down and other states around the country. Let me let me ask you this, because uh, first of all, I talked to Representative Wiggum last half hour, and he said, you two votes short in the House of having a veto proof, uh, or, or in other words, being able to override the, the veto by the governor. Now, that doesn't speak to the Senate. The Senate is perhaps a little bit more reticent to, to take this up. But, uh, but I was told that Greenspan and Manning, Gail Manning, were the two that did not vote for this. Um, you need those two if it comes down to an override situation. Did you hear any explanation from those who voted against that bill as to why? Well, not uh, Bob. I didn't hear it from the two Republican members, but I would point out we have one Republican vacancy arising out of the untimely death of Representative Don Manning, who died of a heart attack in March. We are going to be moving this next week to fill that seat, <laughs> and we will certainly fill it with someone who feels like the great majority of the Republican members of the House. So we are so. only one short when that happens. And, um, you know, we don't even get But you are going to have to flip one of those two individuals, though, right? Uh, Representative Seitz, you're going to have to flip one of the two of them. Yeah, right, exactly. Or a Democrat. I mean, that's possible, too. I mean, you know, uh, uh, it is possible. But we don't even get there until the Senate acts, right? You don't get to a veto override until there's a veto. And in order for there to be a veto, both chambers have to act on the same legislation. So I think, you know, the, the key now should be for folks that like what we did in the House, uh, to be calling their Ohio State senator and saying, uh, okay, are you get down with the program or are you going to drag your feet? Diane Grandel told me yesterday that um, she thinks they're going to drag their feet, that there's too many senators who um, are angling for appointments when they're, once their terms are up and they're limited, uh, angling for appointments that they're not going to cross the governor. You, 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 uh, you, you know I uh, served that? for nine years in the Ohio Senate before returning to the House. I have lots and lots of friends on the Republican side in the Ohio Senate. I am not quite as uh, cynical as my dear friend Judge Grandel is about that. So I am going to say there is absolutely, because they have a bigger Republican majority in the Senate than we do in the House. I know. I think there are enough senators that that will stand up and, and uh, do something. I'm going to be an optimist and say I think I- they will. I hope you're right. I really do. Uh, and, 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 you know, one other thing as far as 
who gets to make all of the decisions. You know, your your bill or your amendment that you guys passed certainly is uh, appropriate. But there was something else, and this is the commissioners of Ashland County, who I would imagine would would there would be other commissioners in other counties uh, that would follow suit here. Uh, sent a letter to the governor saying, you know, um, we've got doctors here too. We've got our own boards of health, and we've got different scenarios than perhaps other counties do. In Ashland County, they pointed out they had ten cases, zero hospitalizations, zero deaths. Let us open up our businesses. We've got this. And oh, by the way, if things you know need to be addressed, we've got our own board of health here. Why can't? And and Lieutenant Governor Houston was asked that question, and he basically said, no, we're going to handle this. Why can't they delegate some of that authority to local boards of health in the same way that President Trump kind of delegated the authority to all of the governors to make decisions at the state level? Why can't they continue that? And because and, not every county is the same, and any more than any st- every state is the same. Well, that is certainly true. Uh, And the local boards of health are charged with enforcing the state director's orders. And they do have independent pandemic and quarantine authority and have had it for a long time. But I and I know there are many of uh, plenty of other counties that have written letters similar to the one you mentioned from Ashland. Just Mm -hmm. this week, I saw the Highland County uh, County commissioners did the same. But we got to be a little careful here, Bob. Be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. Once we convince the State Department of Health and Governor DeWine to open things up, there are local boards of health flushed with their newfound authority that might decide to issue edicts to keep it shut down. Uh, So it's not a one-way street. And there are 113 local health departments in the state of Ohio uh, because some counties have more than one. We have four different ones in my county, Hamilton County. Uh, some of them <laughs> might well decide that uh, they want to keep this uh, going for a little while longer and keep everything shut down. Uh, so I'm a little reluctant to just turn all this I, over. I get to your point. You know, you know what? I get your point, but I would rather take my chances and let the local voters there decide on their commissioners and uh, and their their uh, uh, their mayors and their other local officials that appoint board members and so on, including the health board. Because you know, to me, again, I would like for Governor Noem in South Dakota to be able to do what she did, rather than having to follow the lead of a Governor Newsom or a Governor Northam or a Governor Cuomo. I would rather let her decide not to if the others decide to lock down and let the people there vote on whether or not they appreciate that leadership and decide for themselves rather than one overarching uh, overarching, um, uh, you know, policy to fit every, uh, you know, you know, one size fits all when one when all sizes are not the same. Well, it's an age old debate about statewide preemption uh, every time it comes up. And I'm reminded of a great one one sentence saying by a old Senate friend of mine, and he used to always say, I'm for local control, but I'm not for local out of control. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that one. That's a great uh, That's a great saying. I'm going to have to remember, remember that. Last thing before you go, Representative Seitz, because you've been one of the leaders here in really trying to get our state open again and to try to reach Governor DeWine with reason and rationale and science, as you pointed out. Um, yeah. What about the fear factor? They they have they have been trying, and when I say they, I'm talking about all of these officials, statewide officials, and and nationally elected officials and media, scaring the devil out of everybody uh, about breathing air without a mask and touching things without gloves and so on and so forth. Do you think once we do get these things open on the 15th and on the 21st and so forth, do you think people are going to 
come out of their houses and take advantage of it, or they're going to be scared uh, of what they've been told and stay inside. You know, that is a major challenge. I mean, honestly, uh, there, there are lots and lots of people who understandably remain fearful since they've been fed a 60-day diet of, of, of terror, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and no one is going to force anybody to go out if those people who are vulnerable or those people who are still afraid wish to stay home, they certainly are free to as long as the, as long as their paycheck <laughs> will enable such a, an indolent lifestyle. Uh, but, uh, but look, uh, it's going to be a major challenge. I mean, I, obviously you can't turn a 60 day diet of fear around on a dime and people will have to see how this works. Now, that's one of the reasons why the Ohio House came back this week and why we had a session this week, and why we started committee work this week. Uh, and we're, we're trying to show, look, we're not afraid, okay? Well, we will take the appropriate precautions. We were all spread out like, like uh, appropriately spread out for our session and our committee. Uh, a very different way of voting. We all had to vote individually instead of pushing a button. Uh, but we are doing it. We're trying to lead by example, and that's why the speaker brought us back. Uh, there's plenty of unfinished business uh, that we've got to attend to. There's plenty of economic issues like balancing our budget that we've got to attend to. And there's plenty of business like doling out the federal money Ohio has received that we've got to attend to. Uh, and we're going to do all that in the coming weeks. But what the main thing is we're going to lead by example, and we're going to show folks, hey, look, some of us at least think it is safe to come out. Yeah, and you know what? I guess what I would be happy with is just to have the market decide for itself. You know, let people, if you right. are scared, stay home. If you're not scared, come out. Let's let the, at least the people decide. And without the, 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 the fear-mongering uh, that is being perpetrated by the government continuing. We'll leave it there, in, Representative Seitz. Right. In a sentence, Bob, <laughs> no one will be forced to come out, but those of us who have been forced to stay in will be relieved of that burden. Amen to that. That's exactly what has to happen. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Representative Seitz, keep up the good work, sir, and we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank good you luck. so much. Happy weekend. And to Bye-bye. you as well. That's uh, Representative Bill Seitz. He's Cincinnati area and uh, District Number 30, but he comes on with us because uh, what he is fighting for in Columbus affects the entire state. Final segment coming up. All right, 1057, final segment for you. Mike Gallagher coming up after the top of the hour. We'll squeeze a call in here and then a reminder about what's going on tomorrow. Uh, let's go out to Wellington. That's in Lorain County. Kevin is a small business owner, I am told. Uh, Kevin, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Uh, hello, Mr. France. Uh, thank yes, you sir. for taking the call. My pleasure. Um, I've been in, been in business for 37 years. And uh, what kind of business? I think myself, it's a uh, bowling center, strikeout lanes out here in rural Wellington. Uh, been in my family all my life, and uh, we've been a place for people to gather and socialize and uh, put 37 years of sweat equity into this place. And never in my life would I imagined I'd see it swirling down the toilet. Uh, so you don't, you don't have a, you don't have a reopening date, do you? No. I do have a patio, uh, and we will reopen that on May fifteenth. Is our our hope, uh, but um, you know we got to make sure we do it safe and that people feel safe coming back. Um, but at this time, 
so you, my main so you released bowling. Right. So you at least had that little small part, but the bowling part is not there. So what has this done to your bit? I've only got about 30 seconds here, but I mean, uh, and maybe you can call back next week, but I'm assuming you have been suffering greatly for the last 60 days. Uh, yes, it's been, uh, it's been awful. Uh, absolutely can't open the doors. No business coming in. Um, How many employees did you have before this? Uh, four. And, and, and they're all gone, I'm assuming. Uh, right now they're all unemployed, so. Right. Um, uh, listen, I, I don't have uh, Kevin, I, I'm out of time here, so I can't get too much more in depth. I hope you call me back next week. Call me back on Monday, in fact. Thank you, Kevin, for the phone call, because I want to talk to more small business owners who have been impacted by this. And let's uh, let's send that message to Governor DeWine. Hey, don't forget, rally around Ohio tomorrow. Go to the website. Do it right away. FreeOhioNow.com. FreeOhioNow.com. Find the county location near you, and let's get out and rally tomorrow in Enjoy defense of Ohio's freedom. We'll talk to you Monday. Bye-bye.